listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickey's on AO3. Chapter 15, The Visitor. He wasn't sure when he'd stop thinking of them as strangers. It was a slow, incremental process, he suspected. And now, slowly, weirdly, he'd begun thinking of them, just to himself, in his own head, as my parents. And again, it felt weird, but good. What didn't feel good was everything else. When they'd gotten back to the cabin, the sweet relief of crossing the ridge and heading down into the valley was magnitudinal. But he'd needed Mulder's help just getting into the house, and he'd proceeded to sleep for 14 hours straight. Now he felt a little more human, but weak. Really weak. He'd gotten mono in third grade and had been laid up in bed for two straight weeks and had only half days of school for the month after that. His powers had suffered then, too, and that was what this felt like. When he woke up, he tried using his mind to open up the bedroom door, normally a simple, easy thing, and it wouldn't budge. He couldn't so much as tilt the door handle. And so he used his hand like a normal person and shuffled into the kitchen, dropping heavily into one of the kitchen chairs. The room was warm and brightly cheerful. Scully had managed to rig up a small additional solar panel that could run the lights for a couple hours, or the oven for 20 minutes. They hadn't much use for the oven, though that might change now that they'd resupplied, but walking into a room with electric lights on had the artificial and probably psychological effect of making everything seem okay, at least for a bit. Good morning, Scully said, her voice coming from the direction of the living area. She was sitting in one of the chairs, sewing closed a tear in one of the horse blankets. When he sat, she set down the sewing and rose, coming into the kitchen and giving him an addressing look. How are you feeling? A little better, he said. Not a total lie. She sighed and reached out a hand as if to touch him, hesitated for a moment, and then pressed her hand to his forehead to check for a fever. Then she proceeded to thread her fingers through the overgrown hair that flopped onto his forehead. He sighed himself and felt like leaning into her touch, like that farm dog Tisdale, overly eager for human contact. He closed his eyes instead and tried to enjoy it. You need a haircut, she said after a few moments, letting her hand drop. He felt a pang of loss and looked up at her. Do you want to cut it for me? He tried not to sound too eager. She laughed, a bright sound that half delighted him. You know I cut molders, right? She said. If you think you can stomach it looking like his, I'd be happy to give you a trim. Where is Mulder? William asked, realizing he hadn't seen him. He took Molly out to check out the other side of the valley. She's like you. She seems to sense the ships before they come. He wanted to be sure those scouting ships that came to Marlowe's 
weren't lurking anywhere nearby. Oh, William said, not realizing they didn't know. The ships won't come here. They can't. Scully looked at him, puzzled. What do you mean? William cocked his head to the side, trying to figure out how to explain it to her. Have you ever seen ships here? Come to think of it, she said, her head going back in realization. No. Do you know why? I think you're about to tell me it's not dumb luck. It's not, he went on. You know how I told you that this valley, and especially this area around the lake, feels shielded? She nodded. There's something in the ground. I don't know what it's called, but the ships, some of the aliens, won't come near it. Scully lowered herself into one of the other chairs. Something in the ground? she asked. He nodded at her, and she sat for a moment thinking. Is it a kind of rock? He nodded again, impressed at her ability to make connections. How do you know the ships and some of these aliens? You say just some? Another nod. How do you know they won't come near it? I've seen it, he answered, and I... I can control it. You can control the rock? It's one of my gifts. It's... It's almost like it's a part of me. I can feel it when I'm around it, and the ships, and some of the aliens, the ones who look like us, they won't come near it. I've... I've killed one of them before, with the rock. Scully reached out and grabbed his hand, a maternal comforting gesture. She squeezed it. Magnetite, she said. What? The rock. It's called magnetite. He blinked. It was weird finally putting a name to it. You know it? He asked, sitting up, feeling eager. I know of it, she said. Mulder and I encountered it years ago. We've seen what it can do. You can control it? Yes. She smiled. She actually smiled at him when they were talking about his powers. She seemed pleased. William, that's incredible. He smiled back, feeling lighter than air. Yeah, I guess it is, he said. She squeezed his hand. Can I make you some breakfast? Breakfast and then a haircut? He hedged. She smiled at him again. Deal. She shook out an old sheet, a palimpsest for a salon apron, and set it on his shoulders, around his neck, securing it there with an old chip clip. He'd taken a shower and felt better for it, less wobbly and infirm. After so long on the road by himself, it felt self-indulgent to be fussed over, but he still let himself enjoy it. How short do you want it? she asked. She herself had her hair pulled back into a loose ponytail, wisps of it framing her delicate face. Sometimes she didn't look old enough to be his mom. Short, he said, then turned to look up at her. I mean, I still want hair when you're done, but... Short on the sides and longer on the top? High and tight? I guess. She leaned back, giving him an assessing look. I can do that. They had pulled one of the chairs a little bit away from the kitchen table, directly under the shining light bulb. 
She had a plastic comb and an old pair of shears they'd found in the barn and had sharpened with a whetstone. She moved behind him and began combing his hair slowly, gently working out some small tangles. It felt blissful. Finally, she began cutting, playing the part of a hairdresser, asking him about himself, his childhood, his favorite music and movies. It was easier to talk to her this way, her moving around behind him, him looking vacantly at the floor as pieces of red hair drifted down around his feet to the floor. Not that she was hard to talk to, but Mulder made it easy, like a friend or a big brother, maybe like a dad. The contact, even just of her hands on his head or brushing hair off of his neck, was a balm to his soul. She was finishing up, combing out the last bits and looking closely at her work when there was a knock at the cabin door. Both he and Scully momentarily startled, then relaxed. Mulder would more than occasionally knock on the door when coming in from being out with the horses. He likely had killed some game while out with Molly and was attempting to bring it in with his hands full, or was a mess from skinning and gutting it. Scully would usually swing the door open for him and he'd breeze in, heading straight for the shower. That must be your dad, Scully said, setting down the shears and comb and running her fingers through the hair on either side of his ears to make sure they were even. She nodded at her handiwork, and William was eager to take a look in the little bathroom mirror. He'd cut his own hair on the road, and it always looked awful. He could probably use a trim, too, she said, rubbing her hands together to try to get the hair off and moving towards the door. She swung it open distractedly and was turning back toward William when a strange voice said, Greetings, I have come to bring you tidings of great joy. Scully whirled around where she stood and stared at the little man who stood in the doorway in shock. William felt a dump of adrenaline hit his bloodstream. His mother cast about instantly for a weapon. They usually kept the rifle by the door, but Mulder must have taken it when he went out that morning. William knew there was a handgun in the nightstand in Mulder and Scully's bedroom, and he watched as Scully eyed the bedroom doorway, no doubt calculating how quickly she could get to it. Then the man produced a gun of his own, holding it steadily only a few feet from Scully's sternum. May I come in? The gunman asked politely. Scully took a step back, and the man stepped inside, leaving the door open behind him. He was small and wiry, with thick dark hair that sat above wide brown eyes. His nose was long and crooked, and he was dressed in various layers of coarse brown fabric. Like a Jedi, William thought with an odd necklace hanging on a silver chain, which had a thick triangle soldered to the back of a crucifix. The tiny worn Jesus upon it, looking as thin and haggard as the man himself. He smiled at them, even while he had a weapon trained on them, dreamlike and serene. William wasn't sure if he'd ever seen anything so frightening. As I mentioned, I bring you tidings of great joy. We're stocked up on joy, Scully said glibly, edging her way toward the countertop to her right. They kept the knives in the drawer closest to her. The man raised the gun incrementally higher. I ask that you stop moving, ma'am, he said. If you would please take a seat at the table next to your son. A fine-looking young man. 
he finished, swinging his gaze toward William. William had moved his hand up slowly under the sheet that was still wrapped around his neck, which fortunately had the effect of shielding what he was doing, though he paused when the man looked at him. The second the man turned his attention back to Scully, William sent a quick burst of instruction through the air and summoned the man's gun with his mind. Nothing happened. A twinge of nausea nestled itself in William's stomach. Resigned, Scully moved toward the kitchen table, careful not to make any sudden moves. She lowered herself down in the seat next to William. What do you want? she asked, her voice like solid ice. I've come to help guide the three of you to ascension. Tell me, where is the father? Not here. That's obvious, the man said. When will he return? It's difficult to say. Scully said, her voice as clipped as a neatly trimmed sail. Well, the man said, we have all the time in the world to wait for him, don't we? At this, he moved into the room, leaving the cabin door open. He kept the gun trained on Scully. May I sit, he said. She made a silently sarcastic help yourself gesture. With practiced dignity, the man smoothed out his robes and sat at the third seat, tilting his body so that he could watch both Scully and William as well as the door. William looked at him, his gaunt frame and odd clothes. He was a curious man, and though he was frightening, he made William curious, too. What's your name? he asked him. Ezekiel, the man said, his smile widening. And what's yours? William, he said, darting his eyes to his mother, who was watching the conversation between them with intent concern. Ah, a fine name. Not biblical, but ancient. It means with gilded helmet. Did you know? William shook his head. Ezekiel leaned back comfortably. Yes, with gilded helmet, like a warrior. Are you a warrior, son? William remained silent. Would you like to be? Once you ascend, you could be one of God's greatest warriors. Enough, Scully said, slamming her hand on the table. Ezekiel remained calm and steady, turning his gaze slowly toward her. Peace, mother, he said, for the first time, a slight warning in his tone. William could tell that Scully didn't want him to engage with the man, but he couldn't help his curiosity. What's ascension? Ah, Ezekiel said, smiling once again. It's when we're called to heaven by the gods, brought up into the ships to serve our divine purpose. And what do you think our divine purpose is? Scully said, her cheeks red with barely concealed rage. William could feel it coming off her in waves. Only the gods really know, Ezekiel said calmly. Mine is but to see to your ascension, so that I might ascend myself. Why us? Why not you? All should endeavor to ascension. It's how we'll all be saved. Scully stared daggers at the man, refusing to answer his questions. Finally, Ezekiel tilted his head to the side. Are you familiar with the new Holy Trinity? 
William watched as Scully swallowed with difficulty. I'm familiar with the old Holy Trinity, she said, a slight waver in her voice. Ah, the man said happily, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same, but for a new time, a new world. We're not what you're looking for, Scully said, and we have no desire to ascend. The last word she said laced with derision. Leave. I'm afraid that's not for you or me to decide. Only the gods can do that, and I shall take you to them. Do not be afraid, mother. Be joyful. At that moment, William heard a quiet scuff just outside the cabin through the open door. Both Ezekiel and Scully whipped their heads around to look in that direction, and Ezekiel stood, raising his weapon. Mulder's shadow filled the doorway. Scully, he said, his voice all questioning concern. Scully moved like a flash, faster even than William could have summoned something from across the room. Scully lashed out at Ezekiel, bringing her hand down hard on the arm that had the gun. The man grunted, and the gun clattered to the floor. William launched himself at it, just as Mulder stepped into the cabin, the old, big rifle already raised up over his head. He sent it crashing down onto Ezekiel's skull, and the man crumpled to the floor with a sickening thud. William stood, breathing hard, holding onto the man's pistol. Scully turned to him and held out her hand. Hand it here, Will, she said, and he passed it over without a word. Looks like I missed some excitement, Mulder said, turning and setting the rifle on top of the counter before kneeling down to get a better look at the man he'd clobbered. Who's this? he asked. Ezekiel. He came to the door, William said dumbly, a post-adrenaline haze making him feel a little shaky. This is what I get for putting off hanging up that no solicitor's sign, Mulder said. He trying to sell us insurance? Scully huffed a laugh that was half a sigh and then stumbled forward and fell into Mulder's arms. The look of relief on her face so acute that William's stomach did a little flip. He swallowed thickly, watching them, and then after a second's hesitation, he moved forward as well, stepping over Ezekiel's body and tucked himself into Mulder's other side. He felt his father's hand come around his shoulders and pull him in tight. It's okay, Mulder whispered after a moment. We're okay. I wish we had cuffs, Mulder said, dragging the man's prone feet through the cabin's doorway and out into the weed-filled yard. Ezekiel's head thumped loudly on the rough-hewn step that separated the cabin from the grass, and Scully hissed. Mulder, watch his head, she scolded. William came to stand in the doorway, watching. Forgive me, but I'm not terribly concerned about his well-being, Scully. Mulder responded, giving the man's legs one more yank and then dropping them, his limp body coming to rest dotted on either side of the bright heads of the season's first dandelion. Scully looked at the wiry man assessingly. We've got rope, she finally said. Rope it is, Mulder said, and turned toward the barn to go get it. When he came back, he cocked his head to look at Ezekiel shifting the rope back and forth between his hands. 
I'm trying to remember my knots, he said. Give it here, said Scully, and he handed it over without a word. Flip him for me. Mulder obliged, and Scully set about tying the man's hands and feet together. She looked at her work with a critical eye, and then, seemingly satisfied, took a step back. Should we bring him inside? Mulder asked, to which Scully shuddered. William felt the same way. Hell no, Scully said, and then looked up at the darkening sky. Let's move him into the barn, though. It's going to get cold tonight. Mulder looked like he was about to protest, but said nothing stepping forward and grabbing the man under the shoulders. William stepped forward. Do you want me to help? He asked. No, Scully said emphatically. I want you to save your strength. Go inside. Maybe you can start boiling some water for the cedar to Zane. He nodded, happy to have a job, and ducked back into the cabin. He swept up his shorn locks, finally pulling the sheet up and off of his shoulders. His parents came in a few minutes later, and Mulder shut the door behind them. He started to step away, and then, as though thinking better of it, turned back to the door and threw the lock. William poured the meat to Zane, and they all sat down around the kitchen table, quietly sipping for a few long minutes. William noticed a spot of blood on the linoleum by Mulder's shoe. It smeared grotesquely when he moved his foot. What did he want? Mulder finally asked. Did he say? Was he after food? Shelter? Did he try to hurt you? Scully shook her head. The robes, she said. Did you see them? He was one of those new religious types, worshipping the aliens as gods. Said he wanted to help us ascend. Ascend? Mulder asked. I think he meant getting pulled up into the ships, William offered. He'd seen it happen several times while he journeyed north. Jesus, Mulder said. Why? Jesus, Scully said pointedly, in explanation. It sounded like he wanted the aliens to ascertain whether we were the new Holy Trinity. Mulder looked at Scully a long minute, and William could tell that unspoken communication was happening between them, but couldn't tell what it was. Eventually, Mulder simply said, Shit. Yeah, Scully said, agreeing. Shit. Mulder leaned back and ran a hand over his face, the scrape of his stubble sounding loud in the quiet of the little kitchen. Well, he sighed, we should probably go try to wake him up talk to him. Scully nodded and stood, and they moved for the door. After a moment's hesitation, William stood and followed them out, not keen on being left in the house alone. The barn out in back of the cabin had clearly once been used as a combination garage slash storage shed, probably big enough to house the boat that sat on a trailer underneath a shredded, tatty blue tarp pulled off under one of the big hemlocks. They'd done a good job converting it to a barn, considering the limited equipment they had, William thought. The horses had a sizable fenced-in paddock on the west side of the building, and once you went inside, they'd installed an upper loft on which they kept bales and bales of hay for the winter. There wasn't much left this time of year, 
but the horses were fed and happy. Mulder opened the creaking side door, pushing his way into the dark, musty space. He pulled up short, Scully and William filing in closely behind him. Scully made a small, shocked sound. About ten feet away, at the base of one of the support poles, sat two unbound lengths of rope, sheared straight through in two places. Ezekiel was gone. They made their way quietly down the empty street, perpendicular to where the craft rested on Bloor. The block, the entire goddamn city, Scully thought, was shrouded in an eerie haze of canopsia, and their quiet footsteps seemed to clatter booming echoes off the surrounding buildings. She felt a bit too much like Princess Leia, even thinking it, but she had a bad feeling about this. She still wasn't entirely sure why Mulder had agreed to it, why he'd helped to concoct the plan. But even after he'd discovered what happened to his sister, she knew a small part of him was always searching, and the loss of Rebecca and Jordan had hit him hard. They were almost to the intersection when Wheaton pulled up, quietly beckoning them all to come closer. They pulled in like a sports team huddling up. Delilah, Jones, and Terrence had stayed back at where they'd run surveillance the day before, too nervous to be part of the expedition. Everyone clear on the plan? Wheaton said, bouncing on his toes, entirely too eager for Scully's comfort. Beside him, Smith nodded intensely, McDougal on his other side, shooting a look to Mulder before saying a quiet yes. Agents Mulder and Scully in first, Smith and I will help them clear each room. We don't know that there will even be rooms, Scully mumbled, but Wheaton kept talking. McDougal outside with the rifle. You're serving as backup and should fire twice in the air to signal if anyone is coming in behind us. Once we're outside and the rooms are all clear, we start looking around. What are we looking for? You think there will be spy plans written in English just sitting around an alien spacecraft? Mulder shot her a look, but she was nervous and testy. Anything. Maybe we'll find people, Wheaton said, unnecessarily cocking one of his pistols. Christ, the guy was a self-inflicted gunshot waiting to happen. People they've abducted? I've lost people to these ships. Have you? Scully looked to the side, for the first time feeling a little chagrined. Yeah, Smith said, suddenly getting more keyed up. Maybe we can find our people. Liberate them. Exactly, Wheaton said. This ship right here is an amazing opportunity. We can't waste it. Everyone but Scully nodded. All right, Wheaton said. McDougal, you want to set up over there by that tree? Cover us on the way in? McDougal nodded and trotted off to where Wheaton had indicated. Once he was in position, Wheaton cocked his weapon again. Let's roll, he said. Wheaton nodded at Mulder, who, on a final reluctant nod from Scully, led the way, his sig out in front of him. They had had the ship under surveillance for more than 24 hours and hadn't noticed the slightest bit of activity. Nevertheless, as they approached the opening on the underside of the craft, Scully couldn't help but miss the feeling of Kevlar and body armor, the feeling of fellow highly trained agents 
having her six as they executed a well-choreographed maneuver. They'd all run so many times at Quantico that it felt like second nature. As it was, the only person she felt she could really rely on was Mulder. The two men behind her play-acting as Rambo, more liabilities than anything else. Mulder got to the opening and silently called for halt, crouching down and peering into the dark murk as best he could. He pulled a small flashlight out of his pocket and shined it inside. Scully followed the beam with her eyes. It barely cut through the dark. Mulder turned to her and she gave him a nod, putting a hand on his shoulder with her sig held at low ready. They entered. The ship itself was quiet, the entrance more of a corridor than anything else. The ceiling, walls, and floors were made of a kind of soft metal that seemed to absorb sound and light. She swept the area clear and could hear Smith and Wesson, Wheaton, she had to remind herself, coming in behind them, breathing hard and loud. Mulder held up another hand and then indicated to Scully where he was planning to go next. Though the ship didn't hum with any kind of power, once they passed a small round corner, there seemed to be a low-grade glow that lit the area just enough to see. They turned the corner into another area and found what looked like a dental chair in one corner of the room and a flat table on the other, crossed with patterns that made no sense to a human eye. She saw Mulder give an involuntary shudder. He took a breath, and they cleared the room, rounding another corner into a different area. Here, there was a raised dais with what might have been a console across the top, the metal of the console darker than the other parts of the ship. Both ends of the console ran into the floor, and they had to peer around both to make sure the area was empty. They cleared this room as well. The corridor seemed to always be rounding off and to the right, and they slowly and quietly cleared room after room until they found themselves back at the craft's opening, the grungy sunlight warming the asphalt of Bloor Street. Mulder lowered his weapon. I think we're clear, he said. Then he crouched down through the opening and signaled to McDougal. He turned back to the group. Well, he asked, what's next? Wheaton holstered his weapon. I want to go look around. Smith, you coming? Smith nodded, but kept his gun in his hand, tapping it in a light rhythm against the side of his leg. I guess it can't hurt, Mulder said, and she reluctantly agreed, following Mulder, who went in the opposite direction of Smith and Wesson, Wheaton. The ship seems pretty spartan, she said as they cautiously walked through the space. Do you think they stripped it? I don't know, Mulder said, stopping at the entrance to the room with a dental-like chair and table. He gave it a long look and kept walking. They found themselves in the console room, and Mulder stepped up to the dais, running his hands along the dark metal. And then, muffled quieter than she ever would have expected, two shots rang out, the timing further apart than would be normal for a handgun. They were the warning blasts from McDougal. Both Mulder and Scully whipped their guns up and spun, hustling out of the room and into the corridor, where they nearly collided with a faceless alien, who stood tall and silent, looking at them through skin-covered and sutured sightless eyes.
Mulder had his gun drawn on the alien in a flash. Scully, get behind me, he hissed. Like hell, she said, moving to his flank. Smith, Mulder yelled out, not taking his eyes off the alien in front of them, who still stood, totally unmoving. Wheaton! There was no answering call from their two compatriots, and Scully took another step to the side so she'd be better able to cover Mulder. Then a gunshot rang out from behind the faceless alien, and the back of his neck exploded, which sent him forward on a jolt, crumbling to the floor in front of them. The back of his neck hissed with a violent green bubbling, and Scully reached out to grab Mulder, but nothing happened. No sting of toxicity, no agonizing pain. She had to struggle to remember if she knew that faceless men's blood was non-corrosive, not like their shape-shifting counterparts. Hey, called out a voice from where the shot had come, and Wheaton shuffled into view, his pistol held out in front of him at a surprisingly appropriate and safe at ready angle. You guys okay? Mulder turned from the pile of goo that had once been a faceless man and looked over at Wheaton. Where's Smith? Mulder asked. We got separated, Wheaton said, looking down at the noxious-looking puddle. Jesus. We need to find him, Mulder said, raising his weapon again. There may be more of them. Right, said Wheaton. I'll be right behind Scully. As a unit, they moved back the way they'd come, guns at the ready, hearts pounding. Scully could smell the cortisol sweat wafting from all of them. Muscles tense as a tight drum. When they got to the dental chair room, Mulder swept it and was about to move on when Scully noticed something just beyond the big table opposite the chair. Mulder, wait, she said, and moved into the room, actually relieved to feel Wheaton tight on her heels. On me, Scully said, and she felt Wheaton put his hand on her shoulder, just like they'd showed him. They moved at a slow half-crouch until Scully saw the object that had caught her eye from the doorway, the upturned sole of someone's boot. She moved wide and out and finally was able to get a look at the person lying prone on the floor behind the table. Not prone, she found, but dead, a gaping hole in his forehead. It was Wheaton. With a feeling like spiders crawling over the hole of her skin, she turned slowly to the man who still had a hand on her shoulder and a gun in his hand. Wheaton stared back, giving her a slow smile. Mulder! she shouted, just as the shape-shifting alien who wore Wheaton's face grabbed her and knocked the sig from her hands, spinning her until he had her in a headlock, his weapon pointed at Mulder, who had moved into the room on Scully's desperate shout. Mulder, it's a shapeshifter, she husked out as the alien's grip tightened around her neck. His eyes wide, Mulder didn't hesitate, firing two rounds directly over her shoulder and into the shapeshifter's neck. Noxious green blood flew out, spattering into the wall behind her, and she instantly felt the fumes, toxic and choking. She gasped for breath. Her eyes burned and she dove away from the alien and pushed Mulder out into the corridor. Scully, he gasped, but she proceeded to rush past him blindly, tearing around the corner of the ship toward where she thought the entrance was, 
desperate to get away, scared senseless. She heard a shout and blew past McDougal, then heard another shout and several gunshots. Her eyes swelling shut, she saw a blaze of sunshine before her and tore out of the ship and on down the street. She wouldn't have looked back if she could. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.